You're listening to The Nerve, an English at WIT podcast. My name is Dr. Jenny O'Connor, a lecturer of English at WIT, and today I'm joined by my colleague Dr. Una Keeley, who lectures on both the English and Theatre Studies programmes. Also joining us today is second year English student Eleanor O'Connor. No relation. <laughs> um, and today's topic is Shakespeare's Richard III, which will soon be produced by the Druid uh, Shakespeare Company at the Abbey. English students at WIT will have the opportunity to attend the play and go on a tour of the Abbey afterwards. So we're very excited about this. And actually, I just put on the English at WIT Facebook page, I've just put the trailer um, or the uh, kind of a an appetite whetter um, up on the Facebook page and it's a little trailer that comes from the Abbey's website and it's uh, the Druid Shakespeare Company to kind of okay. talking about the production. So Una, you had a little story about the first time you ever saw and fell in love with Richard III. Was it? Did you fall in love? Well, bizarrely, I did. Uh, <laughs> and It's not really... Um, maybe great to fall in love with Richard III given the fact that he's such a villain but as we know from the female characters in the play few women can resist him bizarrely <laughs> you're, no, you're Lady Anne yeah so I was 15 and I went to see Richard III in a school hall it was a five-hander so five actors playing all the roles they were all men and there was very little set and but there was some lighting but I remember coming away from the from the performance just absolutely amazed that theatre could be like that mm. and that Shakespeare yeah. could move me and excite me yeah. and disturb me as yeah. much as it did. And I suppose I really recall the fact that there were five men playing all of these parts and we had this really... You have this really intense scene where Lady Anne um, talks to Richard over the corpse of her husband, whom Richard has murdered, and he persuades her that marriage is a good idea. Yeah. And yeah. that scene yeah. was just so... It was so astounding, and the fact that it was played by two men, but it didn't matter to me that it was two men. I read it as the power of Richard to persuade. And I suppose I went I went home, raved about it and went to the library the next day and got out Richard III and just read it in my bedroom. Wow. And, yeah. you know, when I was 15, I remember thinking, nobody I know is reading Richard III <laughs> at home in bed. <laughs> the signs were there from an early age, weren't they, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> and was that your first experience of Shakespeare or had you had you encountered Shakespeare no, before? No, I'd encountered Shakespeare before and I suppose my... You would have for the junior circuit or for the... Well, actually, mm. because I did I did my education in, in the UK. Okay. So oh, I, w I had done... I certainly had read um, Romeo and Juliet. Mm. And of course, Romeo and Juliet, whilst a tragedy, um, I suppose I, I, I knew the story of Romeo and Juliet before we saw it, right? Yeah. Richard III, I didn't know what was going to happen at the end. And so mm. I had that sense of of not knowing. I was absolutely brought along by the power of Richard's character. And now I go back and I read more about Richard III. I see that the effect that that production had on me 
was exactly the, the, the yeah. desired effect because Richard is so charismatic. He's so enthralling and engaging mm-hmm. and manipulative and funny. Oh, he's a brilliant villain. Yeah. He's an absolutely brilliant villain, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. And Eleanor, had you come across Richard before you studied him last year in the Shakespeare Drama and Film module? So that's it. That's in the second semester yeah. of our first year uh, that we study that. So... Had you come across him before? I mean, you probably had, but yeah, had you read it? I hadn't read it. I'd read Romeo and Juliet many, many, many years ago for what was then the Intersearch. Mm-hmm. So that'll tell you. I'd heard of Richard III. Everyone's heard of him. Um, you know, because Shakespeare really is everywhere. We don't realise it, you see. And I can understand why Una loved the place so much. It's, I don't know, it's his words. He really kind of, he just gets the character across brilliantly. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was a fantastic play. I really did. Yeah, I have to say, I love that play now. Mm. Um, and the the scene Una was talking about earlier, like it's very interesting because if you look at the the context behind the times, that was most likely a political marriage for mm. Lady Anne. Mm-hmm. Because what was she going to do? Do you know? Mm. It's so it's it's super it's a, interesting. It's a great it's a great scene. It's actually her father-in-law, isn't it? That the corpse mm. is her father-in-law in the text. Oh, that's and, then, right. and then and then in various different productions, oh, yes. they, yeah. they transplant yeah. her husband. I'm because doing that. that. Yes, that's, that's even that's even worse, isn't yeah. it? That she that she gets seduced in yeah. front of her husband, I suppose. In a morgue, uh, <laughs> but in a morgue, yeah, yeah. I mean, but it's. It's that whole uh, idea of this absolutely, uh, you know, amazing seducer um, that can seduce the audience, isn't it? As well as the characters within the play. I know um, what what I found really interesting uh, about Richard III recently is that my nine year old Mm -hmm. has these... um, books, these children's versions of Shakespeare, you know, which aren't in, in we have those Shakespearean too. language. Yeah. yeah, I think we all have those. And we've been trying to get her to read and mm-hmm. she has, she, you know, she kind of take up a book and then she gets distracted and whatever. And uh, recently then she came home with Hamlet from school and I said, hmm, we'll see. And uh, she absolutely loved Hamlet. Yeah. So she's now read the children's version of Hamlet, Richard III, <laughs> Othello, Romeo and Juliet and uh, scatters more. Yeah. And I kind of am gobsmacked by this. So now she wants to come on the Richard III yeah. trip to Dublin yeah. too. <laughs> um, but it is, it, it's one of those things that, that captures your imagination, I think. Yeah. He is, as you say, such a brilliant villain, such a fantastically yeah. written villain. Yeah. And and you can see evidence of that in popular culture, in politics oh, yeah. now. You know, there are people that we love to hate. Mm. Can you think about anybody in the current climate that kind of fits that remit you know I mean maybe they're not quite as bad as Richard but um, I know one of the the characters that we looked at in during the module was uh, in House of Cards you know and obviously you know the whole Kevin Spacey thing has changed the way we even watch that Um, but the the figure of Francis at the centre of that is very much a a kind of a a cross between Macbeth Mm. and Richard III. So you can see how Shakespeare is still a very good screenwriter, if you like. Um, I just was wondering, does he remind you of anybody at all that you've seen in in any movies, TV shows, in the general public eye, maybe? Yeah, I was wondering, can we say that? Like, do we get in trouble? (laughs) That's what I was saying. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, you know, you don't have to maybe name names, yeah, but there are certain politicians, few, I guess. There? There? I would be yeah, thinking the same thing. There's a couple that spring to mind, all right. But yeah, Shakespeare is just, a, it's just, I don't know how he does it, 
but he really he gets it across, doesn't he? And it's so relevant today. Yeah, that's what's amazing about it. One of those characters, I suppose, a person that I love to hate is Donald Trump, of course. Yes, thinking the same thing. Now he's a bit obvious, and he Mm. does. But you see, he he doesn't have the sophistication that Richard has. He doesn't have the rhetoric either. No, and he doesn't have the rhetoric. Um, So while I love to hate him, I I can't um, really compare him to Richard. Only insofar as what Trump loves to do is theatricalize his, theatricalize everything, his mm-hmm. every waking mm. thought, it seems, is theatricalized, performed mm. on Twitter or, mm. you know, however else he, he does. He's performed in these kind of bizarre handshakes and all of this other kind of stuff. <laughs> but what this, it it brings us back to that idea that in the same way that Trump attempts to manipulate the image. He attempts to manipulate the news. He Mm -hmm. attempts to manipulate people physically and through his words. He's he's much less sophisticated than Richard. But there is that idea of if I present my false face Mm. with enough um, bravado and confidence that I will achieve my ends. Mm -hmm. And certainly we get this in the opening soliloquy of Richard. Now is the winter of our discontent, that wonderful soliloquy. And what we have in that is the public face of Richard and the master rhetorician, the, the, the man who can manipulate the crowd through his language. And so we we, what, what we have in Richard, though, of course, is the consummate performer, mm-hmm. where Trump doesn't necessarily perform with anything like the confidence and skill that Richard has. Because we have... Now, in Richard, Richard has a third of the lines of the whole text. Mm. Isn't that incredible? Really? Yeah, it's incredible. So what's happening in Richard III also is that Shakespeare is transforming the idea of the company of players into this. He's creating in Richard III the star vehicle. So we have the whole play. <laughs> I didn't know there was a phone in this place. <laughs> it's If it's for me, I'm not here. <laughs> it's only rang once. Okay. It's Richard. <laughs> it's Richard. Um, so we have in Richard III is the idea of the star vehicle, the movement from the the company of players. What Shakespeare is doing is he's asking us to look at this character and how the individual can mm. manipulate and work through language because Shakespeare knows that language is such a powerful yeah. force. So that's a really interesting mm. thing. And of course we've got... Richard III being the culmination of that history cycle of the Henrys. Mm. Yes. And yeah. the fact that the audience is not in in suspense about the end. They know that Richard is going to, to be defeated. But at the same time, Richard provides everything that's attractive about the about the play. So it's a really interesting take on the history play. It's not necessarily a tragedy it's a history we don't we don't have the same kind of sense no. so even the genre is a very interesting one mm. 
Yeah, and what it's really interesting what you're saying there as well about um, about that star vehicle and and also about the way in which you know Richard manipulates things to suit himself because what you're saying about Donald Trump is so true. He mm. he try he attempts to do the same thing and he 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 certainly does manage to you know stay in power and use the media to his own ends and yet he doesn't have any of that sophistication no, that Richard has at all. So he convinces the people who are already in his thrall only, um, rather than the people who who recognise what we don't recognise about Richard. Maybe we don't because mm. we don't want to see. Um, so it is a good example. I think he's alive and well, isn't he, around us? Mm. Um, this production that we're going to go and see is by the Druid Shakespeare Company. Now I don't think I've ever seen. Uh, any of their other productions? Have you seen any of them? I've seen loads of Druid. Um Shakespeare productions actually um, this is how nerdy I am uh, I sat through seven hours of Druid Shakespeare <laughs> really in Kilkenny Castle so oh, Druid yes, yeah. yes, yes so Druid are based in Galway and they have made several really important landmark um, productions in Irish theatre history so they did Druid Sing where they took all the works of J.M. Singh and mm. they worked them out and they performed them and produced them and, t- and toured them. They did Druid Murphy and so they took Tom Murphy's plays and they, they did the mm. same and Murphy, of course, uh, Gary Hines, who was the artistic director for, Dru- for Druid, you know, this wonderful interpreter of Murphy and in two th- I think it was in 2015 they took the... Henry Cycles and Richard II. Yeah. So they played, I think there was three Shakespeare's back to back. Yeah, that's right. Uh, in Kil- I went oh to see God. it in Kilkenny Castle yeah. as part of In the Grounds. It was yeah. outdoor nice Shakespeare as well, for seven it? hours. Oh, yeah. yeah, I wasn't able to go to that. I remember thinking, oh, that was the evening I one. dined with the president. Thank <laughs> 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 you do. In the same room. I was going to say, did you dine at a, quite a distance from the president or were you close? No, in the same room. <laughs> um, but... Um, so this, in a way, is a natural progression for mm. Druid to move mm. from those productions of Shakespeare to Richard III. Mm-hmm. Um, their Richard II was absolutely phenomenal. It was wonderful. If anybody is interested mm-hmm. also for Shakespeare's 100th birthday or the 100th centenary of his death, I think, mm-hmm. I can't remember. 200, 300, 600. Yeah. It's not 100. It's not 100. I think it was 600. Um, I can't remember. Don't, I'm not, I don't do maths. Anyway, the BBC televised all of the Richards. Or sorry, the Henrys and the Richard II. So if, and they did a wonderful job too. So anybody who wants to kind mm-hmm. of get a back catalogue of fabulous Shakespearean productions that precede Richard III, they're, they're available I don't know. Uh, they're well worth having yeah, a look Yeah, oh, they're at, yeah. really worth having a look. Druid will produce a wonderful production, mm. without doubt. And they say in the in that little kind of trailer that they try to, to give a, a certain Irishness to their interpretations of, of Shakespeare. I'm really That's interested to see how they're going to do that. Mm. Um, because I suppose, you know, the, the version that we, you know, in our Shakespeare drama and film module, the, the version that we focused mostly on was the Richard Longcrane um, adaptation starring Ian McKellen. And that's a very British, uh, you know, interpretation, yeah. as you would expect. Um, it's obviously set in, in a very different environment in the 1930s. Um, but 
it's a very quintessentially English kind of mm. interpretation. You would never consider, I suppose, doing Richard in any other way. I'm just interested to know how they're going to to mm. give this kind of Irish inflection, yeah. this Irish, Irish interpretation well, to the text. Possibly what they might do, what they did with the other Shakespeare's that they did in 2015, which I think it was, um, we had, for example, one of the characters coming in and just speaking in his ordinary Wexford accent. And we had all of these Irish, so Irish accents. Mm. Jude also did a very interesting thing in that they um, blind gender cast the Richard. So we had Derva Crotty played one of the Henry's rather um, and Ashing O'Sullivan played another king. I think it was one of the Henry's. So they did they did very interesting things, mm. but certainly we had these marvellous Shakespearean productions in Irish accents. And even the Irish accents alone bring a yes. certain resonance yeah. to the productions that that change the way we think about those characters entirely, yeah. actually. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think, you know, the brilliance of Shakespeare is when you can see that universalism is in it. And so when you can recognise yourself in it, then lo and behold, it means a little bit more to you. Um, and it's interesting that you that you mentioned women in kind of traditionally male roles there because of Ruth Negga, who's going to be starring in Hamlet now or who is it started now, hasn't it? Up, mm. up in the gate. The gate yeah. um, so I've just booked tickets to see that in October. Really excited to go and see that. Um in you know, Harold Bloom says that there aren't really any interesting parts for women in this play. Um, and Emma Smith, somebody who we look at after after that in the module, you know, disagrees. Mm. Um, as do I. I think there are very interesting mm. female characters. As you say, they don't get as much uh, time on the page. Uh, they don't get as much maybe time on the screen in adaptation sometimes because what uh, what we we see in that long crane adaptation is the the fact that you know in certain cases, the speeches of a number of different women are kind of condensed and given to a single actress, yeah, let's say, yeah. you know, um, because mm. it can get confusing. Obviously, mm. when you're watching these plays, you've got lots of Henry's, you've got lots of Richard's, mm. you've got lots of Edward's um, and you have, you know, a lot of different uh, female characters who mm. all curse Richard or who, who despise him in some way or another. Um, I suppose the character that I find most interesting in the play is is Margaret. Yeah. Um but, yeah, is there anybody, are there any female kind of characters in the play that you particularly empathised with or found interesting? I know we talked about Lady Anne already. Mm. Um, and, you know, I know Sophie was, my, my daughter was absolutely outraged, you know, that she, she that she would go off and marry uh, Richard after everything that he had done. Um, what about you? Is Are there female characters that kind of appeal to you, Eleanor? Yeah, I found all of the female characters interesting. Um, and again, it was kind of to do with the time. You had to understand the time the play was originally written in as well. What really got me was Margaret. Like, I just wanted to know mm. more about Margaret. I mean, historically, she was actually a very strong woman mm -hmm. who I think did she rule her husband was ill at times, mentally ill or something. So she would have actually being the ruler. Yeah, well there and there's a great there's a great speech in, yeah. in the play where where Richard kind of <laughs> says, well, you know, I'm not the only one who's, yeah. who's oh, yeah, uh, no, no, she's, involved she's in these do. nefarious acts. Yeah. 
um, he throws it back at Margaret uh, that she too has has done very bad things. Um, but she's interesting, isn't she? Because she she does act as kind of the the mm. historian of the play yeah. in a sense yeah. um, to remind him of these these other characters that he has dispatched yeah, yeah. Um, and to also prophesize, I suppose, about what, what might happen in mm. the future. You know, there, we have several characters, his mother included yeah. um, and his his sister-in-law <laughs> included who kind of uh, tells him what for and, and mm. gives him a sense of what life will have in store yeah. for him because of all of the things that he has undertaken. Um, what about you? you know, are there particular characters and female characters that you like or... Uh, are drawn to well I like all those women characters they're very strong Queen the uh, Queens Elizabeth and Margaret mm. are very powerful characters and actually the Elizabeth Anne and Margaret have more speeches than with the exception of the three kind of central characters in Richard Clarence and Gloucester mm. it's the women then who have the most of the the lines yeah. So we actually see in Richard III a movement from where women would have been just getting kind of bit parts mm. to these very important roles in Richard. So mm-hmm. we're seeing a strength within these female characters in Richard III that we haven't seen before in Shakespeare. So this Shakespeare, this Richard mm. marks quite an important shift in the 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 quality and the quantity of um lines that f- that these boy actors of course are being given yes and mm. the fact that they form this chorus yeah. together so we have a very powerful um combination of their presence on stage and of course margaret given that role of the of the of prophet mm-hmm. and as each of them the, the the male characters dies in the way that Margaret has mm. said that they will die. They recognise that she has been accurate. So we have this sense that of female power within the play, even though Anne is beguiled by Richard. But as you said earlier, Eleanor, yeah. that's a political marriage. She, no choice. she has no choice. Yeah. So, do? yeah. So it's it's very interesting that we're seeing um, Shakespeare beginning to explore women in this way not at mm. all surprising of course when we know who his <laughs> exactly. patron is yeah. so yeah. we have this movement here now to really look at the, the the force and power and strength of women even when they are confined by society yeah. into certain roles yeah and, and the fact that he you know his he has he was performing i suppose these plays for queen elizabeth herself mm-hmm. and then we have the queen elizabeth in the play mm-hmm. who is his greatest challenger i suppose in terms of the rhetoric yeah. his his own yeah. rhetoric so we see you know, at the beginning of the play and elsewhere, you know, the quality of his own rhetoric decline later when he is kind of positioned opposite Queen Mm. Elizabeth. And she, there's a fantastic scene where they have these stichomythic responses where he'll start a sentence and she'll finish it, Mm. but not in the way that he would expect. Mm. Um, And she really is able to match him and actually surpass him as it turns out then in that scene. I think she's a fantastic character. You're kind of almost cheering her on. It's it's also very well done in that Long Crane version. It's Annette Benning who plays that role and, and you really feel like she's playing him at at his yeah, own exactly. game 
it's what what you really see, I suppose, in a performance then, and, and this is one of the reasons why we want our English students to go, is what can be conveyed not only through the language on the page, but obviously, and we see it in that in that scene in the Long Crane uh, film, those those moments where she looks at him in a certain way, where she matches his gaze, where you can see the glint in her eye, you can see the confidence on her face, you can see her body language change. And those are the things that maybe are, you, you know, they they come out in the in the yeah. performative aspect and they, you know, you can maybe not notice it as you're reading quickly through a play or whatever. Um that's something that I'd love to I'd love to observe in this mm. new version. And of course, the fact that this is a play which is about the theatre. Yes. These constant yes. references to performing and to dissembling and pretending and that wonderful. I, one of the just my favourite moments in theatre is when Richard is um, in the antechamber pretending that he yes. doesn't want to be made oh, yeah. king and he takes <laughs> the, the book the props yeah, yeah and he mm. goes out with the, with the prayer book mm. um and he performs this wonderful scene mm. uh, of meekness yeah. uh, re- reluctant to take yeah. the crown and you know he says that aside go and call them again absolutely which is yeah. just and Shakespeare loved to write about the theatre and players yeah. of course yeah. we have in Hamlet the murder of Gonzago and that moment in Hamlet when everybody is watching the murder of Gonzago but we are watching Hamlet mm-hmm. watching um, Claudius uh, yes. and that just yeah. that wonderful atmosphere of performance and of course in Midsummer Night's Dream where we have the rude mechanicals and the Pyramus and Thisbe you know so Shakespeare has great fun Mm -hmm. in terms of writing about performances Mm. and acting so we have this wonderful um, these wonderful in jokes about theatre too that are mm. only really exploited when you see the play being performed, yes. and they're genuinely funny actually as well. Oh, you know, they're, I mean, they're, Richard has some of the best. He has lines. such yeah. fantastic yeah. lines. You know, you can't help yourself but no. be drawn in. That's oh, the brilliance yes. of it. Um, so it's something I'm really looking forward to on the 20th of October. Uh, the bus will be leaving here we, yeah. at half eight in the morning. Half think, eight in it? the morning from outside the TNL building, mm-hmm. and we'll all go up together on the bus. There'll be the backstage tour usually happens before the performance actually the performance will for anybody who wants to go on the backstage tour that's fine other people can go and have a coffee do whatever they want performances usually start at either two or half two I can't remember which mm-hmm. times it starts but what happens is we normally get off the bus go to the theatre get the tickets I dish out the tickets everybody's responsible for getting to the theatre on time we're not mammies we're not going <laughs> to make sure you get there if you're not there you won't be let in and then we just we get on the bus and go home at the end of the day and without exception the students who go on those trips say it is a meaningful useful experience yes mm. and it is it's it's a text that is going to come up for every yeah. single year yeah. of study yeah. um, so it's it's something that's extremely valuable for a number of different reasons um, the collegiality on the bus yeah. even you know the fun that we have yeah. um, and also you'll just learn something that you won't learn from us sitting in the classroom no. that we can't possibly teach you. No. Um, so we would encourage as many people as possible to, to attend. We have limited numbers of tickets. And when and where do people have to pay for okay. tickets? Una? So 
The tickets cost 30 euros if you just want to go to the performance and on the bus. And it's 40 euros if you want to go on the backstage tour on the bus and the theatre ticket. What we do is if people want to travel independently, um, they can buy the ticket from us, but they still have to pay the full amount because otherwise we won't be able to actually pay for the bus. Yeah. The, the trip isn't subsidised, so everybody pays what it costs to go there. We can... Martin in the, T, in the School of Humanities office in the T&L building, so that's up on the top floor of the T&L building, just opposite the lift. If you get up in the lift or the stairs, double back on yourself. The office is up there. Martin um, is in from nine till about... 11 takes a break and back until I think about 12, half 12 and then in between 2 and 4 and on Fridays he takes a half day. So the office is open and shut so you need to pick and choose your time but if you can please pay for your tickets either this week or next week um, we'll do a final call then in I think week 3 mm-hmm. and then we'll close down the tickets mm-hmm. and I that, that means that I can confirm the tickets with the Abbey. So really this week or next week for paying Martin in the TNL building for tickets. Yeah. And a thing I should point out, you can bring your mum, your grandmother, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your granddad or your dad. <laughs> you don't have to be a WIT student. You can bring members of the family. And I always bring a member of my family. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think it looks like I'm going yeah. to be bringing a nine-year-old. <laughs> yeah. I'll have to tell them on stage, be appropriate now. Don't yeah. kill anybody yeah. in too horrific a fashion. Yeah. Yeah. OK, well, thanks a million for that. Thank you to Eleanor thanks. and thank you to Una for joining me today. We look forward to the trip away and to Richard III uh, and we hope to see as many of you as possible on the trip. Thanks very much. Thanks, Jenny.